Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We're glad you're here today. I want to remind you, if you'd like to give to what God is doing here in Cersei, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 or go to newlifechurch.tv slash giving to give online. As always, thank you so much for your faithfulness and supporting the local church. Now prepare your hearts for a great word from Pastor Kevin today. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, being here on the podcast today. Uh, just so thankful for the way you participate uh, with our church and everything that's uh, going on right now. So thank you so much for joining the podcast today. And I've got a big surprise for you because I've got a special guest. Uh, Rusty Meadows is here with us today, and we'll get into talking to him in just a second. Uh, talk about his experience and credentials and a fantastic topic that I think is going to benefit you guys very much. So much good content here that I think we're going to have to break it down into a two or maybe even three parts. So we'll just uh, see what happens with that. But we're just going to have a conversation with Rusty. So Rusty, thanks for being here today. Welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you. Thank you, Kevin. It's uh, great to be here. And <clears throat> this is a first for me. Is it really? Yeah, I've never really? done a podcast before. Never done a podcast. So, so this is going to be fun then. Well, let, let's do this. So there may be a lot of people listening who don't know who Rusty Meadows is. So I want to just do a, a little true-false with you. Can we do All that? Right, sure. Okay. So true or false, are you married to a world-famous pastry chef? That would be true. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm married to Nancy Meadows, and uh, locally she is known by some as the pie lady. Pie lady. The pie lady. And yeah. uh, she makes wonderful pies, but she also makes other wonderful desserts. And uh, in fact, anything she cooks is just fantastic. Yeah. So, so you're kind of blessed in the kitchen. <clears throat> very blessed. Very blessed. How many years you guys been married? We've been married 43 years. 43 years? What? 43. You've been happy for 42 of those. That's, a, <laughs> that's right. Now I better, I got to be careful what you I say. be careful, okay. All right, true or false, were you the in the first graduating class of the Marriage and Family Therapy Program at Harding? Well, <clears throat> If you had made that a statement, I would say false. Okay. Uh, I was in the third graduating third. class of the okay. MFT program. All right. Graduated uh, from the Harding University Marriage and Family Therapy Program in 1997. 1997. Okay. Who was your favorite professor? No, I'm not going to ask you to say. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. True or false, have you ever played golf with Charles Davis or Greg Rowden? Uh the answer would be yes, so true. I have true. played. Okay. Yes. And were you better than they were? Uh, that would be false. Really? Well, yeah, right now, yes. I have to be honest and say... Uh, you're saying you're not better than Greg Rowden? Uh, not today, I'm not. Not today. Okay, I am. I'm going to say that loud and proud. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I hope he listens to this. <laughs> well, listen, man, uh, thank you again for being here, and we are going to talk about topic that is so relevant to all of us and that's the topic of grief and there's not a single one of us who at some point in our lives are going to experience grief the grief process we, we just can't escape it you know eventually we're going to lose someone we love um, 
sometimes that plays out in what we would call a natural order. We lose a grandparent or a parent. And sometimes it's completely out of order where we feel like we lose a spouse or a child. Um, and sometimes those experiences can be very traumatic to us. And people have a tendency to go through grief alone, um, to go through the torture of isolating themselves. And I'm so thankful to have your expertise on this topic as we just talk through some of the normalcies and some healthier ways of dealing um, with grief and the grief process. So why don't we start with this? What is your background and why do you have such a passion for the topic of grief? Well, uh, Kevin, right now I'm working as a mental health counselor in uh, private practice and I've been in this field for over 20 years, uh, but especially in the last 10 years, um, well, 10 years ago this year, uh, Nancy and I both went through a training uh, from the Grief Recovery Institute, and uh, we've been privileged to also work with an organization called Spark of Life. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we've been able to do the past 10 years, uh, besides the work I do in my private practice <clears throat> dealing with grief, we work with uh, grievers that come to grief recovery retreats and... Um, We've done almost 50 of those, and and so, you know, we've 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 been able to witness the extremely, tremendously positive results from retreats, mm -hmm. and uh, and also in private practice, just just using a grief recovery method. Um, besides that, you know, my own loss experiences mm -hmm. have uh, helped me be, uh, have taught me, I think. Uh, or at least open my eyes to be more empathetic with those who've experienced loss and who are going through a grief experience. Yeah. When you speak of these re retreats, every single person that is at that retreat has gone through a grief process or they're currently working through that. Is that, is that correct? Well, if a person comes to a retreat, they're, they're seeking help. Mm. You know, they're struggling in their grief. And so uh, most of the people that come to a retreat are, are, are searching. They're, mm -hmm. they're looking for something, you know. They're experiencing <clears throat> a lot of different things that we'll talk about later. But, um, you know, it's, it's like, what can, what can I do? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like I need to be further along in this process than I am. Okay. And so uh, the, re the retreat and then, uh, or, or whatever the means and I hope through this podcast we can encourage folks to uh, have a better understanding of what's going on what's going on when I'm experiencing grief because right. they may not even recognize it as grief right so good when, when most people hear the word grief they usually think of death so why is it unhealthy for us to limit our understanding of grief to only death <sighs> Uh, great question. Um, you know, there are so many different kinds of loss. And there are also a wide variety of emotions that we experience when we have a loss. And if I fail to recognize a particular event in my life as a loss, 
then when I have these unexpected emotional responses, I may question, why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. You know, um, a couple guys that wrote the Grief Recovery Handbook, which is, <clears throat> and started the Grief Recovery Institute, uh, John James and Russell Friedman, they, they give two important definitions of grief. One of those is that grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. Mm, any kind. Any kind. And that's, um, there are so many things that happen in life that are losses, and we don't think about them as being losses. Mm -hmm. um, and if you listen to the second definition, it, it, it makes it make more sense. And that is that grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So, I mean, that covers a lot of territory. A lot of territory. A lot of territory. And it also means that not all loss is something that's what we would consider bad. Right. You know, something good could happen in my life, but because it's a change in a familiar pattern of behavior, I'm going to experience some of those emotions that are associated with grief. Mm -hmm. And all of those emotions are not necessarily um, painful but they're still a part of that grief process. Give you an example. And uh, <clears throat> Nancy, if you, if you listen to this, you, I know you know what I'm talking about, but getting married is a loss yeah. because it's a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. Right. It was for me anyway. Yeah. You're giving up your singleness. That's right. You're giving up my singleness. Graduating from high school, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Boy, I remember when I graduated from high school. Believe it or not, I can remember that. And uh, that was only what five or six years ago. Yeah, just a few years ago. It uh, <laughs> that was a great time, but it was definitely a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. And as I look back and if I think about some of the things I was experiencing and feeling at that time, most of those feelings were positive, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And um, and so. It's just important to understand that not all loss is is bad or painful. Mm -hmm. I, I've I've heard you talk on this topic before, and I, I've told you this uh, when we're just speaking in conversation. But the thing that spoke to me the most about hearing you talk about this was that you can even have the loss of a dream and and go through grief. That you can have. A specific trajectory for your life and that thing get totally derailed and enter into the grief process can you speak to that for just just a moment yeah and you know those are <clears throat> um, those are the kind of losses Kevin that unless I tell somebody about it they're not going to recognize it because <clears throat> if it's the loss of my dream if if I haven't shared that dream with somebody uh, first of all, uh, you know, there's no way they're going to know about it. Uh, secondly, because it's an intangible, it's not something that somebody can see, uh, not easily recognizable. Uh, that makes it even that more difficult if I'm not aware of what's going on with me. It makes it more difficult to identify as a loss. Um you know, I, I just personally, I remember <clears throat> back when I was uh, 
a younger man and, and getting out of college, I had dreamed of a, of a particular trajectory for my life. And uh, things didn't go the way I had hoped they would. Mm-hmm. And it was very, um, it was very painful, very devastating. Mm-hmm. Nancy was aware of that. We, we were married when we were in college. So, you know, we were already married then. Um, you know, she was aware of it. I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure at that time if she was aware of how it affected me. Um, and neither was I aware of how it affected her. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But, um, you know, and it definitely, you know, even those things that are intangibles, like a dream, um, if we don't, if a dream is not fulfilled uh, or something else in life that, that I really desire doesn't happen or something that I do desire uh, or I, that I don't desire does happen mm-hmm. either way, you know, that that's, that's a type of loss. Yes. And, and the reason it's important to identify that is that um, I'm going to experience emotions you know, emotions are going to be associated with those events. And if I recognize that those emotions are, are there because of a loss, then I can allow myself to to grieve, uh, or I hope I can, and we're going to talk about that too, but, uh, but I can do that more freely and more effectively. It's mm-hmm. good, good stuff. As a, as a society, generally, how well do you think we're dealing with grief? Well, unfortunately, I don't think we do a very good job as a society. Uh, and then again, this is just based on my observations mm-hmm. and um, my own experiences. Uh, and I, I do think that goes back to under, having an understanding of, and a knowledge of, of what grief really is. Um Socially, and I'm speaking of us as a Western culture, you know, we tend to, to buy into long-standing beliefs. Uh, <clears throat> these, these things, uh, Friedman and James call these myths and, myths and intellectual truths that we've heard, that we hear all of our lives, and we just, they kind of become a part of our thinking. Uh, things like, you know, you know, even as simple as you shouldn't feel bad or time heals all wounds, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, grieve alone. You know, you might say, well, I never heard that grieve alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. If your parent ever said, if you're going to cry, go to your room. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's telling you to grieve alone. That's right. You know, I mean, that's, uh, nobody intends to, to put anything negative. Nobody intends harm to this. Those mm-hmm. are just things that, or a part of living. Rusty, I had a friend one time who used to always say his version of doing therapy with people was go to Lowe's, get a ladder, and get over it. And that reminds me of that. You know, just go, <laughs> go deal with it by yourself. Come back to me when everything is good. You know. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, and that's 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 kind of funny on one hand, but it's sad on the other because that's the mentality of a lot of folks, mm-hmm. and. You know, just, and, and I really do believe it's because we don't understand grief and 
we might even you know things we don't understand we fear mm -hmm. and so um, I believe there is a fear factor in in the grieving process because we, we we don't like many of the emotions that are associated with grieving and therefore when we have them it scares us I begin to say what's wrong with me and uh, when really nothing's wrong with me <laughs> yeah it's just normal and natural right right you know you've you've talked to me before about one of these long-standing beliefs and that is replacing the loss to me that sticks out so much because in my personal experiences of either pastoring or counseling with people I think this is a big trap that we can fall into, uh, feeling the need to uh, fill in that gap or stuff down those emotions by replacing it with a, not to sound too medical here, but replacing it with something that can release endorphins. You know, I just, I don't want to think about my grief. I want to replace that loss with something that's good. Um, you know, I've seen people get into credit card debt over grief. You know, go out and just spend and buy, trying to replace that that feeling. Get into new vehicles or new homes they're just not prepared for. Or, you know, like if they, this is very sensitive, and I want our, our listeners to know that I'm being very careful here, but they may lose a child, so they quickly may make a decision to go adopt or you know, to try and re replace quickly the loss without going through the grief process. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about why that's such a trap and maybe some thought on, on why is that a go-to for us? Why do we feel like we've got to replace it? Some of the first things you talked about, Kevin, I think <clears throat> um, may fall into a different category, which would be just covering it up instead of replacing it. You know, it's covering it up. Like uh, the things we turn to uh, so that we um, don't feel the pain, you know, whether those that may be substances or whether that be working all the time or doing, quote, church work all the time or, or whatever I can do to not deal with my loss. So a distraction? Definitely a distraction. Okay. Um, replace the loss, you know, it, it would it would be more specific, like just some of the things you did mention about, for instance, losing a child and, and maybe wanting to adopt. That's That would be an attempt to replace the loss. Mm -hmm. Or someone uh, having a breakup with a, a boyfriend or girlfriend and immediately going out and, you know, start dating somebody else what we say on the rebound it's a big one yeah and, yeah and um, or you know and again this is one of those myths you know like when I was a kid I had a goldfish my goldfish died guess what we did you bought a new goldfish we bought a new goldfish <laughs> <laughs> or you know left the bicycle in the driveway and somebody backs over it and yeah. you know after a while if, if we're able to financially what do we do Right. Get a new bicycle. Get a new bike. And, you know, you, that idea of replacing what is lost uh, becomes a subconscious thing. And then 
when we experience the loss, that's that's kind of what we revert back to, uh, or we might revert back to. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just let's replace it. And and the reason that's important to recognize that, not that it's bad to get a new goldfish or that it's bad to get a new bicycle, and those are very uh, well, they're examples, but they're not heavyweight examples, right, right. if I can use that term. Um, but it's just the principle. So mm-hmm. if I have that in my mind, if I'm thinking, well, I'll replace that one of these days, what that does, or I may replace it tomorrow, what that does, it short circuits my grieving process. And so long as I'm thinking in my mind that I'm going to replace that loss, then I don't allow myself to grieve. Mm-hmm. I want to throw a little curveball here. Um, you know, I had always heard, or a lot of times when you're reading articles, you'll hear people say, after a loss, don't do anything major for 12 months, you know, for a year, kind of as a rule of thumb. Like, don't don't jump into another relationship for a year. Don't move for a year. Don't change your job for a year. I, I, I think the intent is good, you know, to say, keep your life as normal as possible. But isn't it true that, in, I mean, in your experience, you've seen people that are, are so stuck in grief. It's been five years since their loss, 10 years since their loss, that people can stay without having processed that out in a healthy way. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's just, let me use the retreats for an example. Well, I mean, I could use my practice too, but, you know, in retreats, we have people that come maybe they're identified loss and and that's an important term uh we can go back to later but the the reason they came to the retreat to begin with that loss may have been um three months ago the loss may have been three years ago i remember when i went through the grief recovery institute training in 2010 i ended up working on the loss of my mom I had lost my mom 34 years before I took that training. Wow. And but I, I, what I recognized through the process uh, of the training and and what I was learning about grief that that loss I had never really grieved. I felt sad, yes. You know, and I had a lot of the emotions, but I had never processed many of those things. And therefore, because of that, there were a lot of things that that emotionally were in, incomplete. They were not complete uh, in my life. And uh, it was affecting me, although I didn't realize it. And so that was a, that was a major, a major uh, breakthrough for me. That, that, that's huge. And I think that there could be somebody listening right now to this podcast, and they may have had a loss a year ago or 18 months ago, and this just takes so much off of them because they think, man, I should be over this by now. You know, I should have moved on in this right now. And I think hearing you talk about you know, carrying something for three decades or seeing people come after three years and go through a intensive retreat, mm-hmm. it, it just shows you how long 
this can take when we're not processing through it in a healthy way. That's right. That's and that's the key. Um, you know, um, grief is well, grieve, grieving is a verb, okay, mm-hmm. uh, which implies action. Yes. And so, uh, grief is a noun. It's a it's a feeling. But to process what I'm feeling, I have to do something. And too many times, we we feel the emotions, but we don't do anything. And until until I until I'm willing to do something, unfortunately, uh, that those emotions are just going to kind of hang there. Mm-hmm. Now I can cover them up, like you talked about earlier. I can mm-hmm. do other things. I can stay busy. I can. Um, or I can try to replace the loss. Um, I can use substances. I can exercise all the time. I, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of things I can yes. do. Um, but it's not going to really take care of what's what's going on inside of me. Yeah, so good. We we got time for one more today, and we're definitely going to turn this into a series uh, because I think it's just really important what what we're talking about. But Oftentimes, responses to a loss, the way we respond to it, can look like a mental health disorder. I mean, something that you would go and be diagnosed for, like depression or anxiety. Can you talk about why we should be careful not to self-diagnose or jump to conclusions about a friend or a loved one or even ourselves and just, you know, a lot of people these days have a tendency to go to WebMD and they read through, you know, a DSM criteria and say, oh, I've got it, you know. And so can you can you just tell us why we should be careful about that? Sure. Uh, and again, that's another great question. You know, Kevin, I know you're a mental health professional as well as a pastor. Um, and you've probably seen this. Um, and, it, and it's a prevalent phenomenon. Um when, especially with as many commercials on TV about mental health medications mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing, and they and they start talking about uh, symptoms, right. and and you know if I've if I've had a loss and I'm experiencing uh, some symptoms of loss um, that look just like a symptom of a mental health disorder, then it is easy to jump to a conclusion. Very, you know, there, you know. Well, I must, I must have this. That's right. <laughs> this, this being the disorder. Um, but there are so many common responses to grief that mirror those symptoms of mental health disorders. For instance, uh, reduced concentration. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, A.K.A. mushy mind. Mushy mind, yeah. We call it grief brain. Yeah, grief brain. Grief brain. You know, it's just... Can't find my my keys. Can't remember what I wore yesterday. Yeah. Um, Inability to tell you a funny story. uh, There's a lady at a retreat one time. She was... And in our retreats, typically anywhere from 10 to 14 people in a room. And this lady said over to the side, she wasn't... Didn't say a whole lot at all. She didn't talk a lot. But we came to this and we were talking about how that we have these responses to grief. And we were talking about reduced concentration. And 
asked for someone to give some examples and she raised her hand and she said, well, uh, I can tell you one. And she said, one day I was getting ready to go back to work, my, one of the first days of work after my loss. And uh, I said, my car was parked out on the driveway. And so I get out to the car and I realize I don't have on a shirt. Oh my goodness. She, she said, but I had on two bras. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, and and she was she was kind of going through the motions of getting dressed, but her focus, her concentration was Somewhere just else. Uh, not there. Mm -hmm. And you know that's that's very very common. Yes. Uh, increased anxiety. Um, disrupted sleep pattern. You know, some people may sleep. They may feel like sleeping all the time. Some people can't sleep at all. Can't sleep at all. Yep. Changing eating habits, again, some people want to eat all the time. Other people can't eat at all. Right. Some people start eating foods that they didn't used to eat, like sweets or, you know, just just a just a change in eating mm -hmm. habit. Mm -hmm. And um, so many of these, especially the the sleep and the not being able to focus, you know, are symptoms. Uh, sometimes of, of depression yeah. and can be of anxiety as well. And, and while those can be, or they are, uh, or there could be a mental health disorder associated with it, it's probably, or could be, situational because mm -hmm. of the loss. Right. And, and, and so just recognizing that. I'm not saying a person might not need some medication for a short, short period of time. Uh, but they don't necessarily need a medication. That's up to your prescriber. You know, we've had many, many medical professionals that we've worked with at retreats through the years, and, uh, from medical doctors, nurse practitioners, psychiatric nurses, a lot of people in the field, and and they all, uh, without exception, agree uh, with this that we don't we don't need to overlook the idea. Um, or the possibility that somebody's experienced a loss. If they come in exhibiting these symptoms, <clears throat> you know, a great question to ask them is, have you had any, have you had any losses recently? Mm -hmm. And just, you know, just find out what's going on. Yeah. I, I want to end today with, with some hope because I think those who are with us right now on this podcast, there could be a lot of people who do feel stuck who do feel like they've never really been able to go through a healthy process for grief. Um, and I just want to reiterate, and, and just, just to get you to put a button on this, properly going through the grief process, they can come back to a life that is fulfilling. And they can come back to a life full of joy. That this grief process can have a finish line where there are big steps of not not only accepting what has happened but almost a, a redefinition of what my life is going to look like moving forward and that can be full of joy and full of life and I just think sometimes the reason I'm ending with this is because I, I think sometimes people think you know, I'm having to take an antidepressant right now to kind of get through this, and I guess I'm just going to be on it the rest of my life. And 
they kind of throw their hands up and surrender to that. But I personally believe that it can end with a lot of hope and a lot of life. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, one of our slogans at Spark is, you know, the life will never be the same after a devastating loss. Yeah. It can still be rich and fulfilling. Yeah. You know, life life will never be the same. Never. And and I'm certainly I hope nobody listening today is 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 thinking we're saying that life won't be the same. It just won't, but it can still be rich and fulfilling. Yeah. And uh, we may talk more about that in the next week or so, but uh, I've got an illustration I'll give, but uh, definitely, <clears throat> there definitely is hope. Yeah. And uh, so uh, if you're if you're listening today and, and, and you have had a loss recently or maybe a long time ago, um, we hope you're encouraged by the fact that you know, hope is there. Mm-hmm. Hope is there. I name my practice Finding Hope. So good. Because um, not just with grief, and, but in other areas of life, you know, we've always, there's always hope. We just have to find it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you again for being with us, Rusty. I, I, I just, I'm so thankful for your expertise in this area. Listen, we're, we're going to continue this series, and so I hope you'll, you'll tune in or invite somebody or share this podcast. But as we close out today, I, I know that those of you who have listened have sensed a true gift in this area on Rusty. And so I'm going to ask him to close us out in prayer and just pray over your life because you may be on the other end of this mic today and you are sad and you do feel alone and isolated. And I would encourage you, we would encourage you to take a next step talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor, and start the process of of opening this door in your life toward finding hope. So, Rusty, will you close us out in prayer? Sure, Kevin. Father, your your love and your care for us is um, overwhelming, and we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that we... um, do and can have hope Uh, and as believers father it's through your son Jesus Christ and the resurrection and we praise you for that father I know that sometimes um, those there are those of us that are hurting we're not sure what to do we're not sure where to go Uh, give us the courage to give ourselves permission to feel, to give ourselves permission to grieve, and uh, give ourselves permission to ask for help, to know how to do that. Thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.